got a Bible, you can just grab it and turn to Romans chapter 12. We've got a short three-week series of Romans 12. And this is right on the back of our time in Jonah. We spent a few weeks in Jonah. He's there really just trying to understand what it looks like for us as a church to be to be missional, to share in the missional heart of God, to be a people who we don't just receive salvation, but people who go, people who are determined to see our city transformed, just as Nineveh was transformed. And really, these few verses in Romans chapter 12, just uh, the first uh, few verses that we're going to spend time in this afternoon, and the rest of Romans chapter 12, we're going to build on that same theme, just trying to understand what it looks like for us to be a church who who live for Jesus, who respond to what he has done for us and live lives in response to the gospel. So I'm going to open things up in the first few verses this week. Ryan's going to come and walk us through verses 3 to 8 next week. And then we'll finish up things at the end of the chapter. But let me just start with this. This is a moment of confession before you all. Uh, if you didn't know where I'd be, pastors sometimes make mistakes and uh, fail and make sins and even make sins. Uh, sit and then I need to break the law sometimes. And don't worry, don't be alarmed. I don't have to sit where this is going. A few years ago, I think maybe this is the only time where I've really deliberately broken the law. Um, I was driving to work, to work in Warrington, and running a little bit late. Had a meeting to get to. I was coming up to a set of traffic lights. And in my defense, they were orange, they weren't red. Um, so I drove through these orange lights. I went through. Went through fine, and there was a car behind me, and I looked in my rear view mirror. I could see this nice posh BMW. Same as I did, like, he was behind me, and I was thinking, if I've gone through on an amber change, but he has definitely gone through. Like, that's enormous. I was feeling it's self righteous that I was fasting. Well, until I looked again in my rear view mirror, and I saw it wasn't a nice swanky BMW. Well, it was, but it was a police car, an undercover police car. He puts his blue jeans on, pulls me over to the side. Last thing I need was I'm already late from work and I'm feeling so embarrassed and a little bit frustrated and trying to defend myself. It was orange turned into red and said, Well, I would go said it was orange turned into red, you stopped and you go through the lights. Anyway, you didn't take the off. And off I went. For the rest of the day, I was just fuming. I was really frustrated. I was so convinced that I was right. So I didn't know what I'm going to do is look up the highway code and see whether this is true. Or not. And I was angry and I was embarrassed and I was a I had to find the pay and the course um, to go on. And and that is really actually it's interesting. It's defined a, a lot of how I drive now. So if I come up to an orange light, I'm stopped. Like I'm not going through that too fast with this bit of days and air frustration. I mean if it's green, but I'm just gonna feel it. It's gonna change. I'm gonna hit the brake and start slowing down and you know, wait for it to start. And it's interesting, the things that we see, like that vision of the, the copper in the, in the rear view mirror there, it's just, it's redefined how I gave the trumpets. And there are things that we see, maybe moments that are a bit more heavy and a bit more weighty than that moment. Things that we see that shape our lives, that shape our behaviors, that shape our instincts, that shape how we think about things, that shape our identity. And as we go to Romans 12, particularly in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we see that the Apostle Paul, who writes this letter to the church in Rome, he wants us to have one of these rear view mirror moments. 
He wants us to, to take in something, to, to have something in our vision, to fill our view with something that isn't just going to change our feelings, but it's going to change our extent. See, all of us have things in our past that we can look back on, maybe, maybe moments of trouble, and they define who we are today. And they define how we think about things. And they define our behaviors. Maybe on the other end of the spectrum, you've got really good, happy childhood memories, and they define how you engage with them. So Paul is going to present before us the most that real humor moment he wants to define our existence today and our existence for the rest of our life. Let me read his verse. Two verses following Romans chapter 12, verse 1 I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, and we can actually read that in the view of God's mercy, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. But be conformed as well as be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable. Father, we thank you for your work. Thank you that this is truth to us and specific truth to your people here at Liberty Church this afternoon. Thank you that your words are powerful. These words are living, active, sharper than any two I saw. Lord Jesus, these are your words, inspired by your Holy Spirit. Where's the you will use to change and transform us into your So we pray that you will do that, that we have open hearts, ready to hear, ready to be changed. We would desire to be more like you. That we would desire to be less like our old self, our yes. old sinful self. That we would have eyes to see the ways that the world will try and draw us with. So speak to us now, we pray, Lord Jesus, our wish. Amen. You, God's mercy. That uh, little phrase there, or the mercies of God, those three words that we see in verse one, that is one of those. You know, we talk sometimes in liberty about hyperlinks in the Bible, like those phrases or words in the Bible that might just be one word or a few words, but actually, when, when we click on them, they, they open up a, a bigger story, like a backstory behind the phrase, or, or some other truths that are. Uh, that are tucked in behind that phrase, well, those three words, the mercies of God are always. All right? Paul is wanting us to, to look back. He's wanting us to look back at Paul's letters so far. So we're starting in chapter 12, but you don't have to realize that there are 11 chapters before we get to chapter 12. And the mercies of God are a hyperlink going back. And review and see these previous chapters. Paul wants us to recall what has already been written to the church of Rome and to, and to fill our vision. In view of God's mercy, he wants us to fill up that rear view mirror with everything that he's already told in Romans chapter 1. He starts out a letter writing to this church, reminding them and really building a foundation to, to prove them, to show you that. That the natural position of humanity as we come into this world is as rebels. Our natural instinct is to rebel against God. God is a perfect, holy God. But all of us naturally come into this world and we prove it by our deeds, 
by our actions, by the things that, that stir our affections, our natural instinct is, is sin. Written on our, on our, on our hearts to be, to be sinners, it's our natural inclination. And in chapter 1 he says, he says this is the problem with the, the Jews. The people who are meant to be God's people, they are inherently sinful. And then in chapter 2, it doesn't get any better because he says, well, this is the problem for the Gentiles as well. You're no better off. You too are alienated to God. You're put off from him. Your sin removes you from the presence of God. Your natural condition is as sinners as you come into this world. And in chapter 3, he broadens out and he says, right, if anyone thinks that they've fallen between the gap and hear this, none of us. <laughs> Not even one. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Whether you're a Jew, whether you're a Gentile, someone who isn't a Jew, or whether you fit into some category in between, which you probably don't, you're a sinner. You come into this world naturally inclined to have your back against God. Romans chapter 4 and Romans chapter 5, we see the consequences of our sin. It's not just that, that it's something that we do or, or on nature. There are devastating consequences. Our sin separates us from a holy God, alienates us, keeps us out of the presence of the only one who is holy, lovely, and good, and gracious. It keeps us out of the only place that is entirely restful and entirely joy-built. There are severe consequences of our sin. We are taken out of the presence of a holy God. Then in chapter 5, Paul says, Yes, we were sinners, but it was while we were still at the right time, Christ died. It was while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. That is the good news of the gospel. We are alienated from God. God, in his mercy, sent his son to live for us, to live the perfect life. Died a death that we should have died on that cross as he died. He didn't suffer for his sins. He suffered for ours. The judgment due for us was poured out on him. And in exchange for him taking the judgment for our sin, we receive eternal life. And that is given to us freely. Like salvation comes to us freely. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone that it comes to us. We do nothing to deserve. That is all a gift of grace. And then in Romans chapter 6, Paul answers the question that he thinks that the Romans are asking. Well, if all of this is a gift, if all of it's free, then let's just carry on sinning. Let's just carry on like we used to live. And then in chapter 7, Paul brings to their attention, you won't do that. Because that is the way you used to live. You are different people now. Like when you used to live, like before you were saved, before, before God gave you this free gift of salvation, before he deposited in you the Spirit of God, you used to do things that you didn't want to do, and you did things that you shouldn't have done. That was your instinct. And you did that all the time. You chose the wrong thing and you neglected to choose the right thing. So you won't be someone who just spoils grace and just sins because you can. Now that was the old man, that was the old woman. But at the end of Romans 7, Paul brings to our attention actually someone who still live in those ways. Still wrestle with this tension of, of still wanting to do what we shouldn't do sometimes. We still sin, we still live in brokenness. Of the world, and we feel the weight of that. And that could take us to a place where we think, oh no, the judgment of God is coming for us again because we have sinned, because we have broken God's law. But then in Romans chapter 8, Paul brings the best news and he says, no, 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 there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You have been freed. So yes, you will struggle with sin. The judgment that is due to you has been lifted up. It doesn't even exist. 
the Lord of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. He has taken that judgment for you. He has lifted that condemnation for you because he suffered it in your place. And in, in Romans chapter 9, Paul just brings it out and circles back around you and says, listen, don't, don't anyone think that you're good enough to receive this. Like, it isn't your heritage that puts you in a place of faith with God. It isn't because you're a Jew that, that, that God is going to save you. It isn't because you're from a certain type of background. If God saves you with all his sovereign grace, he saves who he is going to save. And it's his sovereign choice if you've been saved. But then in Romans chapter 10, Paul says, because that is true, we need to get out of it. We need to go, we need to stand, we need to preach, we need to get the good news of the gospel out. Because in Romans chapter 11, God will save you. He will save you. He comes right back. We've been beginning of Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 2. He will save both you and the end of And at the end of Romans chapter 11, after walking through the beauty of the gospel, after filling this Rio Humero with all the riches of the gospel, a reminder of who we are and who we should be, but by the mercy of God, who we now are. The end of chapter 11, we just finished. There was no in the mind of the Lord of who was going to transfer or who was going to give to him who might be repaid from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Amen. Like that's Paul's response to the beauty of the gospel, to this vision of the way of Christ Jesus, the finished work of the cross, the, the, the giving freely of, of eternal life which is a gift that is given by faith, received by faith. This beautiful truth that we are transformed by people who sit on the judgment, to sit on the mercy, this freedom that we have. Romans 8, the love that we receive from God. There has no end. Paul's conclusion is worship. Beautiful doxology to him be glory forever. Amen. And that sounds right. That's a good way to respond, right? That's a good response to the gospel, to, to worship, to praise, to Oh, that's one of the reasons we sing every week is because we want to reflect on what God has done for us in and through the Lord Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit. But that isn't when Paul leaves. Doesn't just deserve our reflections. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Presenting all the bodies holy and acceptable to God. Your, your entire life as a sacrifice to That might sound a bit extreme, like my whole life. But actually, that word spiritual that Paul uses there, your spiritual word, your spiritual there is actually a word that can be translated as logical or reasonable. Paul says, in view of what we've just seen, in view of everything that that God has done through his son by the power of the spirit. To give everything that you have, that's just a logical response. Mm. In fact, that's the rational response. When you are thinking your most clearly, this will be what you think. With your life said, he gave his life for us. Mm. That is our reasonable, rational response. The only right response is to give ourselves. And he uses some way deliberately there to help us understand what that's going to look like. 
is represented over the body is the living sacrifice. Now, living sacrifices is Old Testament language. You'll probably know sacrifices were made in the Old Testament as sin and as offerings of thanksgiving and dedication. And it's these types of sacrifices that Paul is talking about. He can't be talking about making a sacrifice of sin. Bear in mind what he's just said, that the way that Christ accomplished on the cross is finished once and for all. It doesn't need to be repeated. So the, the sacrifice that he intends here is a sacrifice of thanksgiving, a sacrifice of, of dedication. That's the picture that we're to see. To give all that we have, our bodies, to give everything that we have to God as an act of dedication. And the call here is, is to give our bodies, to give everything that we have, hold nothing back. I mean, some of us might have grown up in homes where, where there was a, a religious uh, kind of environment, or, or maybe your parents were religious, or maybe you've got a religious background. Religion, religion only calls you to offer part of who you and it's always going to return to something, right? So if you just say the right things, or you do nice things, or if you're a nice person, or if you don't do those bad things, or if you give your money, or if you come to these services, or if you, you say these prayers, then you'll be okay. And the rest of the time, you can do what, do what you want. Faith in Jesus isn't like that. For start, I'm not called to give some of this. This isn't just a Sunday offering. Call to give all of us. And secondly, we don't give our lives to get something. We've already received it. We've already received eternal life. Given our lives is, is done in response to what God has already done. And we're not hedging our bets on God. We don't offer our lives as spiritual sacrifices, just hoping that, that, that he's, he's got it. Just hoping that he is going to welcome us in on that last day. Now he's already won. And so it's only logical to give it back. So let us pause and start to ask. Do you see the full beauty of what God has done for you? Can you see as you look in that rear view mirror and you reflect on the mercies of God, can you see what he's done for you? Can you see the depth of his mercy towards you? Can you see the scandal of him giving everything to you freely by grace? You see the full beauty of what God has done for you, and are you responding like Are you responding rationally in the light of what He's doing? You know, this masterpiece of the gospel that Paul paints in Romans chapter 1 to 11. As He's calling us just to fill our vision, to remember all that God has done, it isn't, it isn't just a good memory that Paul's trying to evoke. Like, what he's doing here in verse 1 of chapter 12 isn't like, like don't, don't treat the gospel like a folk album. You know, something you just pick off the shelf and you just look back at. You know what photo albums are? You know what photos are? <laughs> Elizabeth loves this, right? So she goes to the bathroom and she'll print out all the photos and put them in a, in a book, in an album. And every now and again she'll pull them off the shelf and there'll be a holiday album. Some sort of decorative, whatever it is. And, and we'll look through the photos and and we look back and remember the good times. That's what photo albums are for. To refresh our memory of times that have gone good memories from the past. Well, well the gospel does change our past, right? Like in some sense, Romans chapter 1 and 11 is calling us to look back, to see who we once were. 
and to see how through the finished work of the cross we've been changed from sinners into saints, from slaves into sons and daughters. Like it wants us to look back and even look back specifically at the day of Calvary. When Jesus bled and died for our sins, and three days later as he rose again, like there is a sense in which the gospel wants us to look back, but it is so much more powerful than just a photo album because the gospel changes our present reality as well. Like there are things going on in the Christian life now that are happening now because of the gospel. If you're a Christian, you're indwelt by the Spirit right now. If you're a Christian, you are united to God right now. You are in the heavenly realms with the Father right now. If you are a Christian right now, you don't have to feel shame and guilt. If you are a Christian right now, you have a sweet sense of the joy that can only come from God. Right now, it's a present reality of the gospel. Right now, you have a peace that surpasses all human understanding. Right now, is it just something from the past? The gospel transforms our present and even more than that, it goes into the future. We have a promise for heavens. And again, we're not hedging our bets on this, guys. We have an eternal inheritance secured for us in Christ Jesus. It's not going anywhere. So don't just see the gospel as, oh, this is, this is something beautiful to remember. It is, but it's so much more than that. It transforms your today and it's hopeless. So let me ask you again, if you have gotten this, which has implications past, present, and future, are you responding to <coughs> Is your response right now with the like rational, logical, and like the death of the message? You know, if you're here and you're not a Christian, then the first rational response for you is to put your faith in. That's the logical response. You heard what we just heard and, and understand what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you, then your rational, logical response is to put your faith. So accept him as your Lord and Savior, to recognize who you are without him, to recognize what he's done for you, to turn away from your sin, and to put your faith in him. And if you are already a Christian, you've already put your faith in him. And I want you to ask yourself what part of you might I have told I have given my life to you. But what part am I still holding on to? And listen, when we talk about giving our lives to Jesus, it's not like he takes it off. Like, right, this is mine. I'm not having it back. No, he uses us. And he wants us to come to him with open hands to, to say, okay, Lord, you know what's best. Use me. All Use everything that I have. Your glory for my good. So if you are a Christian, what might you be holding back from? Where might you be resisting knowing that God knows best? Where might you be holding on to something and refusing to believe, refusing to trust that He knows best? To be in relationships. Either relationships that you have or relationships that you desire. Where you'll just keep on hold of anything and thinking, no, no, I'll just, I'll look after this. Maybe your home. It's a gift given to you by God, but maybe you're holding it. Refusing to offer it to God and saying, hey, Lord, just, <coughs> just do what you want. Maybe it's your resources, your time, your money. 
the gifts that God's given you. You're holding on to it, you're holding on to it. Yeah, you can have all of me, Jesus, but not this one. I think I know best to do with my What about your reputation? What about your emotions? Maybe it's simple desire and addiction that you're holding back from God. You're saying that I'll, I'll just I'll keep holding this. Today you need to come clean with yourself. I appeal to you, brothers, given what God has done for you, given how He has never stopped being faithful, good, and strong. Father, give them hold. You're God's mercy. Present your body with a living sacrifice, holy and accepted. It's not quite that. As we sing in verse 2, do not be transformed this way, be transformed by the renewal of life. By testing, you may discern what is the will of God, which is good and accepted. And if, it, if it was that easy to, to offer our bodies in the living sacrifice, Paul would start this one with an appeal. Because hmm. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters. I urge you, brothers and sisters. Like Paul knows that this is going to be difficult. He knows that we're going to resist kind of giving everything to God and want to hold some things back. So he urges us. He knows that it's hard to give our everything to God because the world that we live in. The same world that we live in makes it hard for us to The world that we live in, to use Paul's words, wants us to be conformed to its ways. That word there, conformed, comes from the same word as schematic. You don't know what a schematic is, you've never been to life with Schematic is a pattern or a, or a plan that, that you follow, it's a scheme that you follow. So if you do go to life here, you can get your Billy bookshelf and bring it home and it's in a box where it comes with a schematic and it tells you what it should look like and you build the thing and at the end it looks like everyone else's Billy bookcase because you followed the schematic. Because we're here in Romans 12 is telling us that given our all to God is hard because the, the world wants us to conform to its way, its pattern, its way of thinking. It wants us to drop the, the, the posture of giving our everything to God and, and conform. Actually, the word conform, as it's written here, it's a passive word. It's really interesting. It isn't like a decision that we get to make. As it's written in a passive sense here, it means that it's something that, that we're allowed to be done to us. It's a little bit like we're being carried along by the words. A little bit like, um, like a tap. You've been swimming in the sea and you've ever got into trouble. So, uh, been there, you're out swimming, and it's nice and calm, and there's no waves, and you think everything's rosy, and then all of a sudden you feel yourself just being pulled along and being drifted and dragged. Have you been there? If you get caught in a tide, if you get caught in a riptide, it's even more serious. And it's pulling you out to sin, and there's a sense in which you can't do anything about it. Well, there's a little bit you can do about it, and that's the picture that Paul's saying here. That's what the world wants us to do, to, to, to you know, be happy to swim in the glories and mercies of who God is. But to step in the riptide of the world so we're dragons, so that we conform to their way of thinking, so that we conform to their pattern of living. Worldly ways that want to carry us, carry us away from God. 
can see in verse two that the way that the world wants us to be conformed primarily is through our through our minds. You see that because Paul wants us to be transformed by the renewal of our mind. We'll get to that in a minute. The world wants us to be conformed into its way of thinking, to be conformed into its mindset. And we are constantly being drawn towards worldly mindsets. Ways of thinking like, like a fearful mindset. Always second guessing what that other person is thinking. Or a lustful mindset. Not being able to walk down the street without looking at another woman or another man at desire. Or an anxious mindset. Like constantly worrying about what's the problem, the things that you can't control. Or a hateful mindset. It's thinking of looking at other people and, and not liking them because they're pushing the An unforgiving mindset, harboring resentments against wrongdoings that have been done against you, a critical mindset. No matter how good people are, just constantly finding that little bit that reminds you it wasn't quite doing right. Prideful mindset, thinking you're better than everyone else, a careless mindset, and you're always thinking about yourself, a foolish mindset, making the wrong choices, a lazy mindset, a negative mindset. There is a better one. God's word here says that we be pulled away into the ties of the worldly type. Book, be the word, best to. If we conform to the worldly ways, we'll be transformed. There's a metaphor in the Bible that so beautifully fits the weight of this word transformed that's been communicated. And it's the, the metaphor of the potter and the clay. You come across that before in the Bible. This picture of the potter and the clay. And God being this, this master potter and, and his people being, being clay. And the picture is this, that God takes this lump of dirt. That's what it is. Clay is just, just wood. And he shapes it. And he molds it. And transforms it. And pottery, if you ever see it, seen it being done, like it's messy. I think of what's the film, Ghost? And you all know that. That's a bit it's terrible. But it's a messy type of... Uh, Take the, the clay and throw it down and it'll be impressive. There's bits of clay flying up everywhere and there's bits of mud all the way up to the potter's arms. And at times it's brutal, right? Like he's ripping pieces off and he's attaching pieces on and he handles it fairly, but the skilled potter has a vision of what this lump of dirt is going to be. And so he persists and he shapes and he molds and he's patient. And he keeps working at it and transforming this clay until finally it's a beautiful The Father is doing that work in all of us. In all of his children, he's transformed and shaken us into the beautiful image of his son. And in Christ, the mindset that we have, it isn't a fearful mindset like the world, it's a loving mindset. It isn't a lustful mindset like the world, it's a pure mindset. It isn't an anxious mindset like the world, it's a peaceful mindset. It isn't a hateful mindset like the world, it's a gracious mindset. It's not unforgiving, it's forgiving, it's not critical, it's honouring, it's not prideful, it's humble, it's not careless, it's caring, it's not foolish, it's wise, it's not lazy, it's sacrificial, and it's not negative, it's 
It's a hopeful mindset that we have in Christ. And so the call from Paul here is don't be carried along with the tide of the world. Don't be pulled into its ways of thinking, but be transformed. And be transformed into the most beautiful image, which is Jesus. Be transformed, verse 2, so that you'll be able to understand the world. So you'll be able to live in ways to endure and accept one that is completely better. And the way that we are transformed, we really hear it is by the renewal of our minds. Through filling our minds with Christ. Through seeing the world and the life that we live, the truth of who he is and what he's The truth of who he's made us to be, rather than seeing the world through the lens of our own opinions and our own experiences and the opinions of others. If you think back in being trapped in that time and being pulled out away from us. And think of, of, of in the world as we're dragged into, into worldly minds or into sinful behaviors. Like how, do we, how do we break out of that? How do we free ourselves from that tide, that worldly tide that's trying to pull us away from the sacrificial act of righteousness? How are we going to be transformed into the people that God has made us? If you think about being in that tide, like if you ever try, like, try and swim against the tide, it's hopeless. You'll just get exhausted and you'll sink. There are two ways that you can escape the tide. Firstly, it's to keep your eyes on the shore and to resist. Just to gently, slowly keep your eyes on the shore and to, and to work your way through it, to swim across the tide. To push through, but all the time keeping your eyes on the safety of the shore. But if you're feeling the pressure to conform to the world, if you're struggling in those simple behaviors, if you're having just constantly one of those mindsets instead of the mindset of Christ, then I encourage you resist it. Push against it. But most importantly, look to Christ. Look to your place of safety. Fill your vision with the beauty of who he is, what he's doing. That's what we need. To fill our rear view mirror with the mercies of God. It's in light of the mercies of God that we can live in the way that he's called us to live. So fill your vision with Christ. Look to the place of safety. And yet don't be passive to the world for a new way. Resist it. But do that with your eyes fixed on Jesus. One way to escape the tide. But maybe you don't feel strong. Maybe actually you're trapped in, in this, this pattern of worldly thinking. Maybe you feel like you're trapped in this tide that's pulling you further and further away from godly ways. Maybe you're trapped in this pattern of sin, these, these worldly mindsets. Maybe you're trapped in this, this fearful type of thinking or a lustful type of thinking or an anxious type of thinking or maybe it's a critical type of thinking and maybe you just don't feel strong enough to. To pull yourself out, the world is pulling you too hard. Or you try resisting and you're just exhausted. Well, the other advice that you're taught in the pattern is this to lie back, to float, to shout back. Maybe it's time to admit that you're not strong enough to resist. Admit that you're not strong enough to resist even your own. Certainly, the devil. Cry out to God. 
Amen. 